Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would bless the reading and the proclamation of your word. I pray that you would uh, change us by it as your spirit works among us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's maybe have a little fun as we begin this sermon. I want to see if you can fill in the blanks. I think this is something you probably will be able to do. All right? It's just the same old... Hmm? Same old, same old. At least that's that's a saying in Georgia. Or what goes around comes around. All right. Those who forget the past are... Bound to repeat it, doomed to repeat it, yeah. This next one is not so well known, but I'll give you a hint. Yogi Berra said it. It's deja vu all over again. Very good. All right, and this last quote's not really that well known. It's a bonus quote. History repeats itself, and historians repeat each other, yeah, themselves. Right. All right, we have these quotes because it's commonly recognized that there is nothing new under the sun. What has been will be again. History has a redundancy built into it. Solomon has recognized this and he uses it to make a much more profound point. His real point is that since history keeps moving and keeps repeating, there is no real progress. Our work to earn a living, our attempts to improve our lives, our striving after significance, our desire to leave a legacy uh, is all churned under by the wheels of time. Listen to verses 9 through 11. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after Basically, following on what we saw last week as we began this series on Ecclesiastes, verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Well, let's look at verse 3 to see how Solomon begins to develop his conclusions. He asks us, a provocative question to draw us into his thought process. He asks, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Basically, he's asking, after you spend your whole life working, what do you have to show for it? You know, I've been hearing these commercials about Legacy Box where you can take your old old films from the 1970s, you know, these 8mm, 16mm films, and they will put them on a DVD for you. So while we were in Georgia this past week, 
I asked my mom about the old movies that they had taken of myself and my little brother. And I thought that would be kind of cool to show to my my uh, my own children. And um, she said that these old films were in a coffee can somewhere in the house. Um, so my parents have lots of closets. If you've been to my house, and some of you have been to my house passing through on the way to youth camp or whatever, um, you've seen part of our house, but you haven't seen all of it. You haven't seen the rooms that have been turned into closets. And they are all filled to the brim. And in each closet are many coffee cans with lots of stuff in them. I don't know how coffee cans came to be my mom's filing system, but uh, they are there are multiple little folders cans in every closet. I finally found the coffee can with the the movies in them. Uh, But after all that searching, I began to think about the future. In all probability, I'm going to be given the task of cleaning out and packing up that house. And I'm not exaggerating when I say there will be three dumpsters full of dumpsters the size of the green dumpster out there that we will need in order to clean out that house. Um, my mom was a school teacher for years and years, and all these school projects from all these students that she's forgotten are in these closets. Popular mechanics, aviation magazines my dad has, all in these closets. Uh, and I began to look around the room, around the house in a new way and began to see how much has very little value, how much will go right out the door one day um, when it comes that time. The search for those films ended up being a very vivid illustration for me of what Solomon is talking about in verse 3. What will we have to show for all our sweat, all our stress, all those Hours upon hours, years of hours that we spend away from our family at work. Now, I'm jumping ahead of Solomon's argument just a bit to give you the answer uh, to his to his answer to this question. His conclusion is that you will have nothing to show for it. You will die one day and all that you've accomplished all that you've accumulated, all that you have earned will be left behind. One of the commentators I read said that we will leave only one thing behind. We'll leave the earth on which we used to live. It reminds me of Jesus' parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! 
This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus says, if you're chasing the goods, if you're chasing the legacy, if you're chasing the things of this world, you're a fool. We will leave everything behind. And to those to whom we leave our wealth, will, you'll die also. And so on and so on. As Solomon says in verse 4, a generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. To prove his point that we have nothing to show for all our efforts, Solomon lists a series of things that might, that seem to never go anywhere or gain anything. In verse 5, he says, The sun chases its tail as it rises in the morning and sets in the evening. One day follows another. It never makes any progress. In fact, he says that the sun wears itself out, hastening to come up again. The word hastening is actually the word panting. And his picture is the sun rises and sets Sets, sorry, I get mixed up here. Sets in the west, and then it hustles back to do the same thing over and over again. In verse 6, he says, The wind blows from the north down to the south, and it seems to circle and repeat the same process the next day. We normally think of the wind blowing from uh, west to east um, because we have the jet stream. But the commentators are quick to point out that um, that in Israel they have a bit of a different pattern and the wind will often blow from the north down toward the south. And then in verse 7, he observes how the rivers, they run into the sea day and night, year after year, never slowing, never stopping, but they, the seas never get full. And he had a, a very vivid uh, picture uh, with the Dead Sea. The Jordan River ran down from the Sea of Galilee, never stopping, always running into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is landlocked. There are no uh, tributaries out of the Dead Sea. It runs into the Dead Sea, and it doesn't go anywhere else. Year after year, decade after decade, uh, century after century, millennia after millennia, the, the Jordan River is running into the Dead Sea, and, it, and the Dead Sea never overfills its banks. It never gets full. And so Solomon's point is that our life is in, runs the same way. Everything seems to be in a rut. The sun, the wind, the rivers, they have nothing to show for their constant labor. So what makes us think that we will have anything to show for our toil? Solomon says it just wears him out to think about this. Look at verse 8, first part of verse 8. 
All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. So that's the that's his thoughts after considering the fact that all our toil will not have anything to show for it. Solomon is not content to demonstrate the vanity of of toil only from nature. He also appeals to our personal experience. First, he appeals to our sensory perception in the second half of verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Just like the seas that have a constant flow of water into it but never get full, so we have a constant flow of information coming to us through our eyes, through our ears. But we are never satisfied, Solomon says. You know, we live in the digital age. We have the world's information in the Internet. We have streaming movies on Netflix, Hulu, YouTube. We can listen to endless music on Pandora or iTunes. We have countless mind-numbing electronic games. And we can talk. We can text. We can FaceTime. When I was in Uganda, when the, the town had the electricity, that they would cut it off every other day. But when I was in Uganda, out uh, away from Kampala, I could FaceTime with my wife. Um, and we could talk to each other and see each other's face, even though we were on opposite sides of the world. Amazing that we can do this. And the device that allows us to do all this fits easily within the palm of our hands. You know, these these smartphones are mind-blowing in their capabilities. But then your children come up to you with their smartphones or with your smartphones in their hands and they say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. Solomon says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now please don't think that I'm advocating uh, letting a smartphone be your child's uh, source of entertainment. Uh, Mercy, no. (laughs) Uh, I'm only using smartphones as an illustration of how impossible it is for our contentment to reach the saturation point. Solomon's larger point is that it is foolish to toil and to labor and to get more money, to gain more possessions in in an attempt to be satisfied with your lot in life. If only we could go on this vacation. If only we could get this new car. If only we could live in a bigger house. If only we could change one aspect. Not God, I'm not asking for much, but just one aspect of my life. If I could just have that, I'd be content. Happiness and satisfaction cannot be attained or achieved by gaining a new possession or by changing one's circumstance in life. That's Solomon's point. Solomon continues to drive this point home in verses 9 and 10. 
basically what he's saying here is that other people have had those things that you're pining after and it did not bring them true satisfaction or happiness. There's nothing under the sun that has not been attempted in order to bring lasting happiness. You know, we have not just millionaires, we have billionaires and even, I think I saw in the news, the first 100 billionaire. But even he does not possess anything that will bring him true and lasting satisfaction and happiness. There's no possession that anyone has ever owned that has brought lasting satisfaction and happiness. Look again at verses 9 and 10. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us? Solomon's not saying that no new things have been invented. Clearly, that is not true. They didn't have smartphones when Solomon was writing the book of Ecclesiastes. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have uh, the electronic media that we have today. What he means is there is nothing new that we can ever discover that will break, all the, that will break the, the cycle of dissatisfaction and discontent. The issue is not with the inventions. Smartphones are cool. Airplanes are cool. Being married and having children is very cool. The issue, however, in our, is with our fallen nature. Because humanity is fallen, we have the same basic problems we have the same moral deficiencies. We have the same underlying insecurities that people have always had. Therefore, we approach life with the same fallen, sinful attitudes that our forefathers had. That's why history doesn't seem to be going anywhere. When we think of the next generation, we typically think in terms of progress. Our children are our future. They will learn from our mistakes. They will fix the world we broke. But you know what? They'll be saying the same thing when they reach our age. Ben Eggert up here on the front row. You're, ben, you're our future. <laughs> but when you get to be my age you'll be saying the same thing about the next generation. They're our future because Ben and his generation didn't fix everything because as they grow up, they have their same fallen natures that our generation has. They'll respond to hardship the same way we responded to hardship. They will be, they will have the same temptations that we have. You know, I used to say that I would always be in touch with the younger generation. You know, I'd be hip and cool. I don't even know if the word hip is even in their vocabulary anymore. 
you know, somehow I became old-fashioned, just like my dad was old-fashioned. And I worry about the generation, just like my dad worried about my generation. They seem to lack respect. They seem to lack responsibility. They seem to lack the drive that they need to have in order for our nation to thrive. But it's always been that way. Socrates, who lived 400 years before the birth of Christ, listened to what he said. He said, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, and they show disrespect to their elders. Peter the hermit, who lived a thousand years ago, said, the young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are all impatient. They talk as if they alone know everything. As it was, so it is, so it will be. Most of you probably feel as I do, that most of our politicians are corrupt, that our national debt is irresponsibly large, and that our nation is on the verge of becoming wicked beyond repair. And you wonder if the next generation will step up to the plate. Well, you know what? If Jesus doesn't come back within the next 1,000 years, there is very likely going to be another pastor standing in this pulpit a 1,000 years from now, preaching from Ecclesiastes and saying the exact same things. If you're wondering if there is any hope, then you're understanding Solomon's message because he wants you to be uneasy with what he's saying. He wants us to understand that only futility and frustration lie, as he says in verse 9, under the sun. If you're only looking under the sun, you've forgotten that there's a God who rules over the sun. Looking above the sun gives us a completely different picture of reality. Instead of life being old and without significance, running over and over, doing the same things over and over again, God did something new. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ into history in order to address mankind's fundamental problem. By His perfect life, by His sinless life, by His substitutionary death, on the cross, by His victorious resurrection from the dead and His glorious ascension to the Father's right hand, Jesus has not only addressed our fundamental problem as sinful human beings, but He has fixed our sin problem. When you look to Him with faith and trust, you will be delivered from your old way of life because you will receive a new heart that loves Him and longs to obey Him in everything. When you look to the Lord Jesus Christ with faith and trust, you will receive a new life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
According to Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24, you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you will put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, you will be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Instead of chasing after that which will not satisfy, you can look to a new heavens and a new earth. See, all the old in Christ is gone. In Christ, you are new. In Christ, there is a new creation coming. And Christ has prepared it for those who love Him. As Christians, we don't need to live in the grip of futility and frustration. We live in the light of hope and newness because we live in Jesus Christ. All this stuff that seems insignificant under the sun, S-U-N. In the sun, S-O-N. It all has meaning. It all has significance. So that even if you give a cup of cold water to one of Christ's disciples in His name, that, Jesus says, has eternal significance. No futility. No frustration. Everything has meaning. Everything has glory in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, the Apostle Paul tells us. We were made for a better world than this. The very fact that we grow weary of this world only serves to point us to the God who alone can satisfy our souls. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to You asking for forgiveness, for chasing after the wind, grasping after things that not only cannot satisfy us eternally, but even grasping after things for which You forbid us to chase after. Lord, we thank You for delivering us from our empty way of life and delivering us into the kingdom of the Son whom You love, even Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us to find our satisfaction in Him. Help us to find our happiness in Him. Help us to find true contentment in Him, knowing that this life with all its desires is passing away and that a new heaven and a new earth is awaiting those who belong to Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.